Optimistic fella behind it. All right. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. All right. Hey, let's uh, go to God's Word. I'll read it and then pray uh, and include this prayer request. So this is uh, Psalm 96. Taking a break from Ephesians for the next two weeks. Psalm 96, and this is God's Word. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we're glad to yield ourselves to your word and to the authority of it, and we ask, Lord, that um, you will speak to our souls, that we will not have come here for a little religious fix or an exercise, but that we will have heard something that's true, something that is of uh, real encouragement, and something that directs our hearts to you and your glory. We also want to pray for um, Kelsey Taylor and her uh, traveling uh, uh, this week to Germany. We just pray that you'll keep her safe and her little group and bring them back safely, Lord. Might it be a life-changing experience? Might they um, feel the smallness of a fragile human on a little planet in a giant cosmos uh, in these travels? We pray it for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, folks, um, I start with this uh, illustration, an Apple computer. Oh, thank you. An Apple computer, the original Macintosh. Anybody a Mac person in here? All right, look at all you. Uh, the original Macintosh, the, the original thing. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you read Steve Jobs' biography and all that, he had all the designers, the 35 of them, and it ended up being a few more. They added some names. But he had all the people who worked on it sign their name on a piece of paper, and then he had that um, pressed into the inside casing of the original Macintosh kind of cool, isn't it? So the consumer buys it. They're working on their computer. They're creating. Um, they're, uh, it's a part of their everyday life. And little do they know that the signatures of the people who made the thing are uh, in every keystroke. You know, there's a signature of the maker um, involved in their everyday existences and interactions with this machine. Well, concerning God's uh, spiritual revelation, uh, he, you know, he reveals himself in creation where everybody who ever lived looks at uh, the ocean and they're in awe of the ocean. Uh, you smell a baby's hair and you're in awe of that. You see childbirth, you're in awe of that. We're in awe of things. And the reason we're in awe of things is not that they're just bigger than we are. It's that God has left his signature on creation. Uh, that's why we feel what we feel 
uh, when we see things that are grand or when we ache for justice uh, in this world. So the signature of the maker can be detected and should be celebrated along the way. And that's going to be the thrust of what we're looking at here today. Now, if you were to turn to First Chronicles uh, chapter 16, you would see that David writes a song of thanks. And it's in, it's in poetic form. It's highly stylized. It looks just like a, it looks like a psalm. It, uh, it, is a, it is a song. It's a poem. It is a psalm in a, in a, in a way. And um, he borrows 11 verses from Psalm 96 in his song in First Chronicles. He also borrows verses from Psalms 105 and 106 in his song. Uh, and so um, the reason that's important is that not only does it tell us that God's worshiping people have always gone to the Scriptures, we don't just say, hmm, what's my perception of God? I'm going to make up a perception of God, what he's like. And uh, that's called an imaginary friend. All right? But if it's this, if it's how God has revealed himself, it's God says, this is how I want to be portrayed. God's people are always, have always been, his believing people have always been driven to his word, which is where they find out the deepest, um, specially revealed things about God. All right? So that's important that, that God's people have always, always been centered about, around his word. But it's also important to know that in 1 Chronicles 16, there has just been a time of great deliverance. The Philistines have been defeated. The Ark of the Covenant is brought back into Jerusalem. It's a big thing. Uzzah touches it. David dances before the Lord. Some of you know those stories. And um, it's, a, it's a big day of victory. And uh, so it, that, that kind of sets this psalm, Psalm 96, in a context for you that something has just happened that's been uh, wonderful. It's been a, an act of deliverance on the part of God, right? And thus, Psalm 96. And whether David wrote Psalm 96 or not is not the issue. We don't know. But What we're supposed to see, I think, is this. Let me put it up here. God's worth is displayed in each redemptive action. I think that's what we're supposed to walk away from this this, uh, passage thinking. All right, so let's look at our first of four points. God's glory is to be itemized. Look at verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Now, let me just stop right there. Um, I'm in a unique spot at this church, uh, well, in the ministry. Uh, I don't know any other weirdo hybrid like me who's the, the real worship leader, you know, not just a part-time strum or whatever, but I, mean, I really am the worship leader at your church, and I really am a Bible teacher. I really am both of those guys. And because I'm both of those guys, I mean, friends, uh, as worship leader, you should see the junk I get in the mail. I mean, catalogs of choir robes and banners and you know, chalices and all this kind of cuckoo looking. uh, There's all kinds of just cheesy puppet catalogs. I get puppet catalogs because I'm the minister of worship. I mean, it's just insane. Sound equipment catalogs and all that. But I'm also privy to worship leader dialogues, worship leader dialogues, worship leader forums, worship people, worship leader chin scratchers. And, uh, you know, because of the preacher's guy side of me, I find all that stuff horribly oppressive. Um, and, and probably indicative of lazy church employees who don't have anything to do all week. You know, people who uh, work around the liturgical calendar, you know what I'm talking about? They, you know, they follow the liturgical calendar. That's great, but I think a lot of them do it because they got nothing better to do. They, they're like, oh, good, I have a calendar I can follow. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so the preacher guy, I'm just this, this conflicted character, you can tell. I'm the worship guy, I'm a preacher guy, uh, and so on. And so when I read this, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, I go, ugh, oh, no. That, that, that's what worship leaders do. They go, see, in Psalm 96, it says, sing to the Lord a new song. You know what that means? We got to write some new songs. 
And not stuffy songs like our parents, but, you know, passion songs and relevant songs. And see, I got a Bible verse that supports my point. You know, we need to make some more stuff for Caleb. Hey, well, friends, it's often thought that way. We need more songs for my generation, you know, but uh, or... On the other side of things, the, the preacher side will preach something like this. They'll say, oh, ladies and gentlemen, David wrote a new song, and he wants everyone to join in, and so should you. So that's the, that's the preacher malfunction. One of the things that makes this song so rich, ladies and gentlemen, is the repeated and deliberate use of parallelisms. Okay? That's not a hard word to understand. It's a, it's a part of Hebrew poetry, very classic part of ancient Hebrew poetry, the use of parallelisms. You can see it. Look at verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. You see that that's a very easy to spot parallelism. And you see that it goes, oh, families of the people, uh, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, the glory to his name. It kind of takes the idea and it kind of makes it swell and it amplifies it. It, it punctuates it by using repetition. We have that in verse, nine, in, in verse one, two. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. So you see at the, the first one, sing to the Lord, that's the what? a new song. Sing to the Lord, who? All the earth. Sing to the Lord, what's, what are the lyrics of the song? The lyrics of the song are, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. So everything, it seems, is connected to what we see in verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, how his marvelous works among the peoples. Uh, tell of his salvation from day by day. We're, we're, we're declaring what God has done the way he's behaved, the stuff he does, how he operates redemptively, savingly. So how are we to understand this? Sing to the Lord a new song. Who, everybody, uh, uh, sing to the Lord, bless us, tell of his salvation. What does all that mean? Uh, what are the lyrics? Well, in verse 2, you know, it says, uh, bless his name. And I've told you this before, but, uh, you know, when God blesses us, what's he doing? Or, or when we enjoy living in a state of God's blessedness. You know what it is to have favor with someone, right? And you know what it is to be out of favor with someone? Well, when you're in favor with God, you're in a state of blessedness. He's, he's, you're in his favor and he's blessing you. So what does it mean when God blesses us? It means that he cares about us and he wants us to have what's best for us, right? So he blesses us. He gives us what's good for us. When the Bible teaches us to bless his name, that's what the Bible's saying. We are to bless his name. That means we desire what is best for God. And what is best for God? What is best for God is to have him uh, have all the glory that is due his name ascribed to him. That's what's best for God is that he has brought glory. So that's your first application, that uh, when it says bless the Lord, uh, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, the ultimate end of it is to ascribe to God the glory due his name. All right. It's it's not that we need more jelly donut uh, K love songs. It means to ascribe the glory uh, to God that He's due, and uh, we're to tell of His salvation from day to day. It says in verse two, and that ties to our second application. Um, it says, "Tell of His salvation from day to day." Verse three, declare His glory among the nations. Now in verse two, tell of. If you've got a different Bible translation, the NIV, New American Standard, New Living Translation, they say proclaim his salvation. 
Uh, King James Version, if Ron is, yeah, there you are. Shoe forth, S-H-E-W. That's, that's one reason we have uh, newer Bible translations, because nobody says shoe forth. But uh, that's what the King James says. Uh, others, uh, several others say announce. So announce his salvation from day to day. And then in verse 3, where it says here in the ESV, declare his glory among the nations. Others say publish, publish it. Tell, declare, shout it, proclaim it, write it, sing it. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, and your second application on this, is that we are not enjoying the benefits of salvation in Jesus Christ by ourselves. It's not just this, stay away from me. I'm going to go be a hermit and live in a cabin by myself, and that's going to be my spirituality. It's not get alone on a mountain somewhere. Not, that you, not that, you aren't, that you can't be alone with the Lord and that that's not a good thing for your health. But the point is, God saves for himself a people. He gathers that people. And that people are responsible for one another. That people are responsible for a gospel message that reaches out to a hurting world. Everywhere you look around you, there's hurt. Everywhere you look around you, there's trauma. The Bible has answers for those things. And... Uh, by God's kindness, we, we have access to those answers. So you're not just some hermit drinking chamomile tea somewhere, um, but there's this, there's this responsibility to tell the good news. And I'll just tell you real quick. You don't have to turn. Uh, let me just jump there real fast. But, you know, there's this story. I was reading it last night. and um, In Second Kings, there, there's a famine. Okay, there's a terrible famine. And um, these four lepers are outside of the city, and they go, uh, well, um, they're looking at their situation going, we're lepers, <clears throat> so we're, we're quarantined. And uh, they're going, uh, if, we, if we go in the city, you know, we're, we're starving outside here, it says. We're, we're starving out here. We're going to die because of this horrible famine. And uh, so there's nothing out here. But if we go into the city and freak the crud out of everybody, hey, we're coming to the city. Ah, the lepers have come in the gates. Oh, my goodness. Even if we freak everybody out and try to get something, there's nothing in there either. There's nothing in there. There's nothing over here. It doesn't even pay to go in there and freak everybody out because we're not going to find anything. There's famine. We're all bound to die. And so they go, you know, it's bad enough being a leper. Now we're going to starve to death. And so they go, you know what? I'll tell you what, the Syrians, let's go to the edge of their military camp and maybe see if there's like a can of baked beans or something that they've left behind. Maybe we can find something to, to live on. So they go to the Syrian camp and they, they creep up and they look over the, and, and where are they? The Syrian army is gone. They've high-stepped it out of there somehow. And so the lepers are like, what? So they sneak on in and they start eating stuff and they're drinking and having a good time and they, they, they gather a bunch of stuff, they take it out and they hide it, get the courage up, go back in again. Still nobody. They're like, man, they're all gone. The whole army's gone. They left all their stuff. And they go back again, and finally they go, you know what? There's a city of people starving over there. I guess we better go tell them. And they do. And, um, and the people are saved. And so my point is, that should be our response to God's saving work. You know, we just don't go, oh, thank you, Lord. Now let me just uh, sit and enjoy uh, the spoils of salvation uh, in, in privacy. But rather, we have a, a responsibility to the world at large to share with them um, the way God has dealt within our, uh, with us in our own lives. The satisfaction, the, the safety, the release, the forgiveness, the uh, lifting of guilt uh, that we have experienced. We want other people 
who are hurting to enjoy that too. All right, so that should be our response for God's glory. All right, next point. God's glory is unsurpassed. Look at verse 4. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Now, first of all, you go, okay, uh, that, that scares me a little bit. You know, great is the Lord, I like that. Greatly to be praised, I like that. He is to be feared, I like that. But then it says, above all gods, with a small g, and uh, sometimes that scares people. They go, oh, no, oh, no. Is that saying that other gods exist? Because it's, it's so matter-of-fact looking. Uh, are we, should we be alarmed by that? No. Just read verse 5. For all the gods, with a small g, of the people, peoples are worthless idols. And... Um, you know, there's a, there's a little wordplay there um, if, you, if you delve into a deep study of this thing. Um, there, there's kind of a, a series of bookends, okay? So you've got this verse 4, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, all right? Toward the end of it, you've got splendor and majesty, verse 6, splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. These are positive statements about God, grand, glorious statements about God. But in the middle, you've got this deep contrast that 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 kind of, uh, that kind of blows the point, that, that colorizes the point. Um, God is great. He's, he's to be feared. His splendor and majesty are his. And then you got the fakes. Then you got the counterfeits, you know? And um, in, that, in that counterfeit section, that, you know, all the gods of the people are worthless idols. Here's what's so interesting. There's a wordplay. It's, kind of it's kind of a pun. So feared above all gods, with a small g in verse 4, is Elohim. So God, Elohim, that'll be familiar to a lot of you, Elohim, all right? But um, for all the gods of the, of the people, um, uh, the, 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 the idols, there's um, Elohim. So you've got Elohim means gods. You've got Elohim means worth, worthless. So basically what it's doing is it's doing a little wordplay thing going, um, basically, uh, the idols are no thing. Anything but the one true God is no thing per this book, all right? So all this, all this, uh, well, uh, all the religions are going to the same place, and uh, as long as everybody just gets along, um, listen, should we coexist? You know those bumper stickers, should we coexist? Heck yes, we should coexist. Heck yes, we should be respectful of all people. Um, we live in a free country, you can believe whatever you want. Uh, yes, we should coexist, however... When it comes to belief in the God of this book, there is no confusion. This God says, I am exclusively the God, the one true God, the living God. And Jesus says, I am the only way to that God. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the mediator. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so the claims of this book are that there is one God. He gets to decide how he is going to be approached. And Jesus is the only uh, avenue to this God. That's the very clear teaching of the Scriptures. And so you kind of get this parallel of the gospel here. You've got this God in verse 4 who's greatly to be praised. He's feared above all. He's full of splendor and majesty. Strength and beauty are his in his sanctuary. Ladies and gentlemen, if he's really perfect, if he's really the source of everything that's true, if he's really, if he's really what makes good good, if justice exists because God is a God of justice, 
If um, righteousness is the, is the stability, is the, is the thread that you're looking for in this life and you don't find it because of the world's undulation and, and sin everywhere and problems and pain and hurt and death and drugs, all those things, ladies and gentlemen, it's contrasted to this great God. Well, he's answered the problem in Jesus Christ. He sees the hurt in the world. He knows that planes disappear out of the sky. He knows that there's senseless murder and shootings and that there's hurricanes. He knows all those things. He sees a hurting world, and what he's done in Jesus Christ is address the hurting world. He says, I know the hurt. I know the flaws. I know the pain. I know your guilt. I know your shame. I know you wish you hadn't said what you said. I know you hurt the people who are closest to you, the people you claim to love the most. I know that. And that's why I sent the perfect one, Jesus, who would die in your place so justice in the court of heaven could be satisfied and the sinner could be released of his or her guilt. That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He took the punishment for the sinner so that salvation is a gift from God that you can't add to. That's the gospel message. All right, our next point, God's glory requires sacrifice. If you look at verse 7, Um, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory you do his name. How do we do that? Well, bring an offering. Come into his courts. Uh, This is um, not a plea for cash, um, but let me say this is is generally not the way people think about church. They think, um, generally speaking, they, they go, well, Let's check out that church, honey, uh, Tiffany. Uh, let's go to that church, and we're going to visit that church and see what they have to offer. We'd like to see what they have to offer. If they have some very exciting things to offer, it might be the place for us. We might connect with it if they have a lot of things to offer. Well, that's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying, come on in with your offering. And again, it's not saying, ching. It's saying, come in with a, with a, with a sense of, service, with a sense of yielding, with a sense of responsibility for other people. Walk into a church thinking, okay, where's the need? God's given me gifts and abilities. He's given me life experiences that I might be able to share with other people. Who's had plantar fasciitis? Straight from my notes. Hey, nobody understands plantar fasciitis unless you've had plantar fasciitis. And when you meet someone who's had plantar fasciitis, all of a sudden you're like, well, let me tell you what to do. I can help you a little. But basically, you're going to hurt for a year. Uh, that's my help. But what my point is, the Christian walks into, a, into a, a, a sphere of influence and says, okay, I've got life experiences. Some have been happy. Some are hard. Um, but somewhere here, God is aligning a path with my life, and I'm going, to, I'm going to yield to God and try to find it. That's what this is saying. Walk in with a sense of yielding. You know, Landon Ditto was telling something that I thought it was profound, but I also thought it was cute. Uh, because Landon goes, yeah, I was in line at the Quiznos, and I heard these two ladies talking about how they go to the Saturday night, Saturday night service at such and such a church, and uh, they said, so we could get it out of the way. And, uh, and so that's, that's a profound illustration, right? But what I thought was cute was, that's the first time Landon had ever heard that. You know how many times I've heard that? A jabillion. Well, we go to the blah, 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 so we can get it out of the way. And I go, what? If you think that's what this book teaches, you're nuts. 
That's not how you walk into a situation um, of service. You walk in with an offering. You come into the king's courts. You say, king, this is your house. King, this is your work. King, these are your people. King, this is your words. How should should I proceed for your glory and for the church's edification? That's how you're supposed to walk in. That's how you're supposed to think about God. You're supposed to think, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. By the way, in verse 9, It says, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Man, I love that. But that idea of worship, it doesn't mean hold hands and sway. The idea there of the the word worship is is really to, to be prostrate. It's to fall down. You know what? Bring your offering, come into his courts, and fall down in the splendor of God's holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. You know, trembling with joy. All right. That's how you're supposed to think about God from now on. Uh, Last point. God's glory assures completion. If you look at verse uh, 10, it says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Now, as we said last week, we happened to talk about this last week, that God judge. it might have been a couple of weeks ago, God judges in righteousness and truth. He's not some arbitrary God saying, oh, wait with thee, oh. He's, he judges because he sees. He peers into the deepest recesses of every heart in this person, and he knows your motives. He knows why you say what you do. He knows every word before it's even on your tongue, says this book. That's pretty astonishing, isn't it? That's the way God judges, not capriciously, but with laser precision. His courts are pure, and he has to judge in righteousness and truth. Now, the other comment I'd like to make about this uh, point is is this. Um, It sounds happy as I read this. You know, it, it almost, it sounds like a cheer. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. It's almost like a, it's almost like a, a cheer. And what, what I find profound about that is usually when we think about the judgment of the Lord, it's like, oh, ye, yeesh, God's going to judge sin, really? I mean, you, you, people want to not think about that, uh, that you're going to have to answer for what you've done in life. Uh, but uh, so it, it's kind of usually discussed in kind of a scary way. Here it's happy. Yay! The world's established. That God's going to judge the peoples with equity. And you've got this beautiful string of poetic thought in verses 11 and 12. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar, all that fills it. Let the field exalt, everything in it. Uh, all the trees of the forest shall sing for joy. You've got this pr- beautiful picture of creation going, hot dog. Yes, there's trauma on the earth. Uh, yes, there's sin and death. But it's like creation is groaning for things to be set aright. Maybe like you are too. But it's happy. Let the heavens be glad. The earth, Because God is going to judge. God is going to set things all aright. And, uh, and uh, verses 11 and 12, they're, they're, they're happy. And uh, you look at this whole psalm, it's really, it's, it's, it's happy. It's a celebratory song. It's a, it's a, it's a rejoicing. It's an exultation. Uh, it's, it's about the great and final day when God will judge all things with equity. It's usually cast into dark light, but here it's so happy. 
And um, listen, judgment is scary, but it's also glorious. It's also beautiful because when you consider God's grace, a grace that says, yes, you're guilty, but I forgive you, and I forgive you because of the way I provided, um, it's beautiful. And everything on, on earth and throughout the cosmos is portrayed here uh, to be a gladdening um, by God's display of himself. All right, I close with this. This is from, uh, you don't have to turn, uh, but let me just zip there real fast. This is from Revelation 5. And as Dr. Young said last week in big church, um, Revelation is uh, a, a mysterious book. It's uh, apocalyptic literature. It's otherworldly. You read it and you're kind of, I mean, it's like Lord of the Rings times a thousand. Um, it's, it's just otherworldly. And it's supposed to be otherworldly because it's depicting a world beyond this world. It's, a, it's an infinite world with this infinite God, and we're finite. We're mortals. And, and these are just these grand thoughts. But let me just read to you uh, Revelation 5 and um, just, just fix your mind. Relax. Take a deep breath. Try not to stray. Fix your mind on this. They, the heavenly beings, sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders of the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. You want to know what the new song is? It's a, it's a singing of the details of salvation day by day. It's glory itemized. It's glory unsurpassed. Glory that requires our coming in with a sacrifice. Glory that will be completed, assured to be completed. Um, I wrote a paper. We're almost done. I wrote a paper in school, and um, I, I said something like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm a happy Christian. I'm happy about the gospel. But I said, everything kind of has a Tim Burton tint to it. I've ever told you that before. But, you know, Edward Scissorhands, you know the way Tim Burton shoots everything? There's just kind of like this, he puts kind of a pall over everything. There's this kind of dim, and, and I, I look at this world, and I'm, I'm happy in the gospel. I am. Uh, but everything's got kind of a Tim Burton tint to it. And so, and I think there should be. Uh, and sometimes it gets really dim. <laughs> sometimes you just go, oh, the, the tint is so dark. The world just seems so bruised, you know? Well, what lifts the veil uh, from the dark forest? What is it? 
I think it, it's this. I think it's in our passage. I think it's uh, telling of God's salvation from day to day. What does that mean? It means rehearse it in your hearts and minds, the gospel. Share it with the world who is in deep need and hurt. Marvel over the God behind it. Let it pull you back to God's very nature, what he's like. Uh, and lastly, I'll close with this. God's worth is displayed in each redemptive action. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, if we um, invented you, if we would make you a nice, friendly grandpa in the sky who gave us whatever we wanted and didn't hold us accountable. But that's not how your word portrays you. Uh, your word teaches us that you dwell in blazing purity, consummate perfection, that uh, you cannot let sin go unpunished because you would be untrue to your own nature and your nature is perfect. That's just profound and amazing and even scary, but we thank you that you provided the Lord Jesus by whom, by whose work on the cross we can be forgiven and made righteous and acceptable in your sight. Uh, my prayer, Lord, is that the truth, which I, I just, I hope it was spoken, Lord, and I hope that it will be received. I, I hope, Lord, that hearts will be warm, that um, these, these souls will ponder deep things, and that you'll give the grace to find out what is true. Whatever's true, Lord, show it to our souls. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate you coming. Catch you next week. I...